0: Uh, it's probably because everyone sat over here and no one, you know, you know what I think? There's enough of us in this room that we could all fit right here. And so if, you, you know, I'm not going to make you move, but then I might not have to like lean and so, but, or at least maybe move to this side of the pews so that, uh, that I don't have to look as far. I don't want to get a crink in my neck as I... I love, but um, today is uh, we're going to continue through the series. If you're a guest with us and maybe you haven't uh, been here for the other parts, that's okay. Uh, I think you're going to get something out of it. Um, still today, but this series is called Beyond December, and it's based on the fact that Christmas, for most of our world, I know that there are not everybody that Christmas is a joyous time, but um, for most of us, Christmas just seems to be this special time, and it's it's remembering that Christ came, and there's just, we're with family, and we're with friends, and there's just this feeling, and it's repeated in songs, and in movies, and don't you wish it could be Christmas every day? And I know that some of you say a resounding no to that, and that's okay. Um, But what we're doing is we're actually looking at parts of the Christmas story and trying to figure out how should our lives be different because of that. Because it's not really just about December 25th, and it's not about Christmas, and as we've talked about, most of what we actually celebrate at Christmas doesn't actually you know, match the version of the Bible, but we are more comfortable with our traditions than we are with the Scripture sometimes, and, and it leads into other areas of our lives too. And so there's nothing wrong with um, celebrating and correcting, and I know I've, I've joked about it a little bit, um, but there's some truth that we leave some of Christmas here when we're supposed to carry it with us. And um, today, if you've got your Bible, we're going to go to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. And we've been looking at these aspects of the the Christmas story, and the first week we talked about God being with us and God being for us from Matthew chapter 1, the prophecies concerning Jesus, that he would be Jesus, he would save us from our sins, he would be for us, that he was God with us, Emmanuel. Uh, The second week we talked about little by little, the growth that takes place in our lives, how God works in our lives uh, through Isaiah chapter 9, that his kingdom will continue to increase, Uh, from Luke chapter 2, the shepherds and Simeon and Anna and then last week we talked about the war on Christmas from Matthew chapter 2 focusing on the Magi and King Herod and what they meant for us and next week we're going to talk about fighting the Christmas letdown I mean I use this song today we've waited all through the year we don't want Christmas to go away but reality is next week when we come on December 30th it's gone and so, then there's the letdown, and how do we fight against the Christmas letdown? We'll talk about that next week. But today, we're going to talk about a full Christmas. A full Christmas. What does that mean for you? I mean, does it mean lots of presents? Does it mean lots of family around? Does it mean friends? Does it mean certain kinds of foods? I mean, do you, do you understand the phrase when we say, my heart is full? And maybe your your heart this Christmas isn't full. Maybe someone's missing. Maybe you're not going to be with friends and family. You know, part of uh, us living here in South Dakota, the older I get, um, the more I tend to miss my family, especially at Christmas. And when you, you see pictures now and you're like, oh, man, I wish I was there. And uh, it's a part of life. But how many of our missionaries around the world face that same thing year after year? They can't come home for Christmas, but they do it for the kingdom's sake. And And so... But our hearts can be full even when they're empty or even when they're not quite full. Even when we don't get everything we want, not just physically but maybe emotionally, we can get a full Christmas spiritually and that's what John records in John chapter 1. John is interesting as compared to the rest of the Gospels because he tells no details about the birth of Christ. Matthew and Luke tell us the historical record and they talk about the, the characters of the story. But John skips all that. Mark also skips it. He tells us about John the Baptist and Jesus being baptized and then Jesus going right into his ministry. But John kind of gives us a theological look at Christmas. So he doesn't tell us the facts, but he gives us the theology. And we're going to look specifically at verses 14 through 18. But because I love this chapter, and um, not because we have a lot of time, because I have a lot to tell you before we pray, but I want to read the whole chapter. So we're going to, not the whole chapter, but the whole beginning part of the chapter. So we're going to start in verse 1, and this is what it says. In the beginning was the Word that, that, the Logos, the Word is Jesus in this passage. That's what we know from the context. So in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Let that sink in. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did is a bad translation. Yet to all who receive him, it's, a, it's present tense, it's not past. I mean, it's, it's in the Greek, it's in what's called aorist tense, so it's in the, an event that happened back here, but it has continuing results. And so this is the problem with translation. How many of you speak more than one language? You understand that if you know a second language, there's some things that it's just like, ah, I don't know how to say that in that language, because there's just not a, it's, it's not easy to translate it from one language to the next and that's kind of what we do and that's why they say did <laughs> but that makes us mean past tense but it's not past tense so yeah I know that's it's confusing but we're going to keep talking about that through today yet to all who receive him to those who believe in his name he gave the right to become children of God children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will but born of God the word Grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father. He has made him known. We could spend at least a couple hours together going through that passage, but I know you've got other things to do, so I'll try to be quick. We're only going to focus on John 1, but I'd I'd encourage you, reread that section of Scripture every day this week until it really just sinks in. And I promise, every time you read it, just read it slow like that. Even read it out loud. Let yourself hear it. Um, There's something about hearing the Word of God. (laughs) You know, if you want to hear the voice of God, just read the Bible out loud. I mean, that's kind of the Word of God. And so, this section that we're going to look at, verses 14, verses 16 and 17... The word became flesh and it made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father. Look how he came, full of grace and truth. Now, there is a lot of stuff in this passage that's hard to translate because of the reason I just said. Sometimes when you're going from one language to another, it's really hard to grasp and to make it understandable. It's like in, in, in Spanish. I used to go to La Hacienda and want to get a salad, but I didn't want croutons. But there's no Spanish word for croutons. So I didn't know how to explain to them I didn't want croutons. And there were so many times that I kept getting croutons. And I would be like, Brittany, how do I tell people I don't want croutons? Why would they even put croutons on there if there's not a word for it? (laughs) That's what I was wondering. And she's like, well, just say pancitos, little bread. I'm like, okay. So I put it in my phone and I tried it. And it it worked because they understood crouton. And so they understood little bread. Don't put it on my salad because I can't eat them. It's just like that. In the Greek, it's hard to understand what's being said here. But what we do know is the word Jesus came. He was flesh. He made his dwelling among us. And I hope that that is not old to you. I hope that passages of Scripture like Philippians chapter two, where it talks about Jesus coming, laying aside his rights and privileges. He had access to his rights and privileges, but he didn't use them. He didn't take advantage of them. So for those of us that say, "Well, Jesus acted like that on Earth because he was God," you don't don't understand the scripture because yes, he was God and he had every right to access his rights and privileges as God. But the scripture says he clearly laid them down, chose to be subjected to human weakness, chose to be led by the spirit of God, just like you and I have to be, chose to be our example. And so it's easy for us to use the scapegoat of, well, he was the son of God. That's why he came to show us what was possible. Not so that we would just be frustrated and upset that we're not God. We have the Spirit of God living in us. And He came from the Father, we're told, full of grace and truth. That, this passage is so misunderstood, and here's, here's the promise. I don't even know if I understand it. In fact, I'm sitting in front of you right now, trying to explain what it means to be full of grace and truth, knowing I don't even fully understand what it means to be full of grace and truth. And so maybe it's easier for me to tell you what it isn't than what it is. And so I'm going to just try my best, and maybe at the end of it you'll be like, I didn't understand that, Um, and hopefully you you won't. But here's what he didn't come doing. He didn't come balancing grace and truth. He didn't come balancing grace and truth. He came full of it, completely... completely full of grace, completely full of truth. And here's what you, we know from the Greek. You can't take grace and truth and separate them. And here's how I know that. Because in Greek, the word came is singular. It's a verb, came. We, we don't know in English it's singular, but if you know Greek, you know it's singular. So that means two things with a singular verb are one thing. He came full of grace and truth, not two things One thing, he came full of grace and truth, and he came to show us that you can't separate them. And that Greek word grace is what's the Greek word charis, And it means grace, graciousness, kindness, goodwill, gift, favor, gratitude. It is a full word. And it appears so many times throughout the Bible. We are saved by grace. It's talking about our favor, our standing with God. We are in right relationship with God because Jesus came full of grace grace. We have been given grace. We've been given power, enablement to serve God. Everything we need, we can come before his throne to receive grace to help us in our time of need. It's grace. It's a a crazy word, and it's a full word, but he also came full of grace and truth, and that word truth means the conformity to reality with the implication of dependability, (laughs) It means it's real and it's reliable. Jesus came and he is the truth. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 tells us the sun is the radiance of God's glory. He is the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful world. We can sit in this room today and, and sing that God is good. And we know it because Jesus came full of grace and truth and he showed us God is good. So when my life says God isn't good, grace and truth says God is good. He came as the exact representation. We don't have to wonder what God is like. When your life doesn't fit what you think it should, you don't have to worry or wonder. You can know. It's dependable. He doesn't change. He came as the revelation of who God is. We want to make truth a list of righteous requirements. It's more than that. Truth is not just a list of things that you're supposed to do now that you're a Christian. That's not truth. I mean, it is. It's an incomplete picture of truth. Truth is who God is. It's the revelation of all that God is. That's truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. You know, last week we talked about the God of this age blinding the minds of unbelievers and they can't see truth. I mean, let's look at that passage one more time and look at it now that we've read what we've already read. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Truth is not a list of requirements. It's who God is. And what the people of the world can't see is who God is. Paul, or John here places grace and truth on the opposite side of the law. And see, we try to make truth and law synonyms, but they're not synonyms. They're not the same thing because they're on opposite sides. The law was given through Moses. It was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. It came. It's meant to be experienced. It's meant to be tasted. It's meant to be in our lives in a way that the law can't be. It came. The law was incomplete. It was a shadow. That's what Scripture teaches us. Hebrews chapter 10, it's a shadow of the good things that are coming. It's not the realities themselves. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 talks about the old way with laws etched in stone led to death. Though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face, for his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was fading away. Shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way, now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? The old way which brings condemnation was glorious. How much more glorious is the new way, which makes us right with God? In fact, the first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. And so for those of us that prefer the law and grace, because we like the law, the law is black and white. The law is clear. It tells us what's expected of us. It tells me what I'm supposed to do. But grace and truth is messy. Grace and truth is hard to understand. Grace and truth is relational. And so we got to fight this battle against slipping into law and grace <laughs> and understand grace and truth are different. Well, one of the things about King David that I, I love is David inquired of the Lord often. If I don't know if you highlight in your Bible or circle or, or underline. I do, and it's amazing the amount of time David sought the Lord for stuff he should have just known. I mean, he, he should knew what to do. I mean, there's a time David went into battle against his enemies, and he inquires of the Lord, should we go and, and fight them? Well, duh. I mean, you're the people of God. He's already made hundreds of promises that he's your guide, your protector. I mean, why are you even asking? Well, because David was a man after God's own heart. That should teach us something. And so, yeah, I know we can read the Bible and know what God wants us to do, but I think the problem is sometimes we we fall out of grace and truth and we go back into just a newer version of law. And we try to go do law and and we get frustrated and we're like, man, that doesn't work. Well, yeah, but it was never meant to be that way. And so David goes out to battle. The Lord says, yes, go fight them and do it this way. And then the same enemies come back a second time. After they rout them and they send them away, they come back a second time. And you know what David does? Inquires of the Lord. Should I go out and face them? And the Lord says, yes, go out and face them, but not the same way. This time, do this. Do you ever wonder why Jesus never healed people the same way twice? Because he knows we love the law. And we think, you know, if I want, to, if a blind person comes to me for healing, okay, I have to decide, do I make mud and put it on their eyes? Do I spit right on them, or do I just say, be open? I mean, I, I got to figure... The, Jesus came, and this is what he says, I don't do what I want to do. I do what I see the Father doing. I do what I see the Father doing. It's like he had a window where he could see what the Father was saying to do in this moment, and he just did it. That's grace and truth. He wants not a list, not a pattern, not expectations. He wants a relationship. He wants us to learn to rely on him and not on ourselves. Jesus said, I am the truth. And, and the writer of Hebrews says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He's the author and the finisher of your faith. Fix your eyes on him. He'll show you what to do. Now, for those of you that are really nervous because you're like, well, oh my, you're making it like there's no sin. Grace and truth, you've got to understand that the standard of grace and truth is higher than the law tire. Remember Jesus said, you have heard it was said, do not kill. But I say, grace and truth says, (laughs) I say, if you hate your brother, you're a murderer. The standard just went up a whole lot, didn't it? (laughs) And so what Jesus is saying is, according to the law, you actually have to pick up a stone and whip it at your brother to be guilty. But now according to grace and truth, if all you do is just are loose with your tongue and you speak evil of your brother or you speak evil of any human being, you're guilty. That's slander. That's a stone. I remember a sermon when I was uh, just a youth pastor and I gave everyone in the room a rock and I... uh, Uh, The secretary at the time, Lynette Cuno, kept her rock by the phone. And uh, as a youth pastor, I was like, wow, she's keeping her rock as a reminder not to speak evil of people. It's like a stone. And she put it by the phone because that's the easiest place to get loose (laughs) with your tongue. And uh, I was like so proud of that because back then I was like, I don't know, did I hear God? You know, did I just make this up on my own? And, and, uh, And so it was a good thing to know that someone else resonated with something I said because it really struck me as powerful. Most of us read through the the Sermon on the Mount, and we never stop and get struck by it as powerful. The law says don't commit adultery, but grace and truth says if you lust, you're guilty of adultery. Now, the standard of truth and grace is higher, but here's the the reality. The standard is also met. Wow, that's going to get confusing. Because Jesus already met the standard for us. So it's not what I do, it's what he's done. So pay attention because this is really going to be tricky. Under the law, if I tell a lie, I'm a liar. Under grace and truth, if I tell a lie... I'm a son who lied. I'm not a liar. It's not who I am. Because I've been given a new identity. See, this is why grace and truth is super messy. Because we want to call people liars. You liar! No, that's law. It's already been accomplished. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. I'm no longer a liar. I'm a son who lied. Read Ephesians 4 and 5. Paul is trying to explain this to the Ephesians and he's like, you know when Peter said, (laughs) Paul like writes stuff and it's so hard to understand. It's truth. Paul says, don't keep doing these behaviors you used to do when you were like a Gentile because that's not who you are anymore. God saved you by his grace. You're not that anymore. Even though they were doing it because he wouldn't have told them to stop if they weren't doing it And so he's like, don't do these things. That's not who you are. Because grace and truth has called you up to a higher standard. Grace and truth has put you at a place. And now you have to live in that. And it's so messy. And now, here's the danger. Then it doesn't matter how I live, right? That's the danger. But Scripture warns us. Don't receive God's grace in vain. Don't trample on the spirit of grace. Don't don't use it as an excuse. I mean, yes, grace and stand, grace and truth is this wonderful, powerful thing. And if you were given today a ten million dollar diamond in a cloth, so that it didn't get scratched, and you were given in a, in a sack, and you were, they were like, okay, be careful. This is worth ten million dollars. You wouldn't take it out of that and shove it in your pocket. You would treat it like it's valuable. And that's what Paul's saying. Don't let grace and truth just be something you carry in your pocket and just pull it out every once in a while to act any way you want. It's so valuable. And if you understand it, it's so freeing. Paul says in Romans chapter 6, should we keep on sinning so God can show us more of his wonderful grace? I mean, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. So we should sin more so there's more grace. By the way, humility also brings more grace, so we could try that one. It's interesting that Paul didn't have to say, "Should we keep humbling ourselves, because we don't want that one, but we like to sin. Let's just be honest, we like to sin. Because we get more of his grace. He says, of course not. If we've died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? I mean, if you've died to it, how can you continue in that? But God's grace has set us free from the law. Does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize if you you become a slave to whatever you obey? I know you don't feel like a slave, but every time our tongues are loose and we slander, we become a slave to it. We become a slave to sin. That's why we repent. That's why we confess and his blood already has covered us even before we've asked. But we need to ask so we come free from it. You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Galatians chapter 6, he says, if you sow to please your flesh, you will from the flesh reap destruction. But if you sow to the Spirit, you'll from the Spirit reap eternal life. So don't get weary in sowing to the Spirit. Because if you do, at the proper time, you'll reap a harvest if you do not give up. Now, here's the best part. He came full of grace and truth and From his fullness, you and I have received grace, 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 grace. That's literally what the Greek says. And if you read different translations of that verse, you'll realize that scholars have no idea what that means because there's no way to translate it. And so some of them say grace in place of grace already given, grace upon grace, grace for grace, one gracious blessing after another. Here's the essence. You get unlimited grace. You get more than you need. You get everything you need to be a carrier and a releaser of grace and truth. You are fully equipped in fully supplied that's what we know from his fullness you have received everything you need you are full to overflowing you know in the old testament there's a story and there's a vision that Zechariah gets in Zechariah chapter 4 and I wish I had time today to go through all of Zechariah chapter 4 but I don't And uh, I'm not saying that I know everything that Zechariah 4 means, because I don't, because scholars don't even agree. But Zechariah sees a vision. Now, Zechariah is a prophet, and the people of Israel are coming back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And there's a man named Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel is starting to rebuild the temple. And as he's starting to rebuild the, the temple, the word of the Lord comes to Zechariah, and this is what it says. The angel of the Lord who talked with me returned and woke me up like someone awakened from sleep. He asked me, what do you see? I answered, I see a gold lampstand with a bowl at the top and seven lamps on it with seven channels to the lamps. Also, there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl, one on the left. And I asked the angel, what are these, my Lord? He answered, do you not know what these are? I love that question. It's almost like there's an expectation that you should know what these are. Because here's here's the truth. Angels are not created above us. Angels are not created in the image of God. We are. So on the totem pole of life, God, us, angels. That's the reality of the kingdom. Now, we're marred by sin, but the expectation is you should be able to understand this. The angels don't understand that Jesus became a baby. They're like, huh? They don't understand what's going on because they're not God. They don't have all revelation. So they look at some things and they're confused. And I really think this angel is looking at Zechariah thinking, okay, you're above me. How do you not know this? Why do I have to explain this to you? But you don't know what it means? He says, no, my Lord. So he says this, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Now, what's the rubber bell doing? He's rebuilding the temple. There is so much imagery from Zechariah chapter 4 to New Testament covenant. I mean, scholars agree this isn't just a word for Zechariah and Zerubbabel. This is a word for the New Testament church. I mean, when he starts talking about the mountain that's going to be leveled before him, the temple that he's starting to build he'll complete it. When he talks about the seven spirits of God roaming throughout the earth and the the lampstand, look at Revelation chapters 1 and 2 and 3 Christ walks among the seven lampstands, that we are the temple, that if you say to this mountain, be moved, it's going to be moved. There is so much here that's prophesying to what we should be living in. And I don't have time to do it, But he says in this passage, do not despise the days of small beginnings. (laughs) Because Zechariah's looking at it, Zerubbabel's looking at it. They're like the temple, you know, it's not as glorious as it used to be. And he's like, don't despise the day of small beginnings. The Lord rejoices to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. Do you know what a plumb line is? It's a tape measure. They haven't even started building. All they've done is set their heart on building, and they've started to measure. And the Spirit of the Lord is rejoicing in that. See, we get hard on ourselves, and we're like, oh, you know, i got to do, like, these 15 things before he's pleased with me. No, you pick up the tape measure, and he's, like, all over you. He wants to give you grace on grace. He's not giving you grace just because you measure up. If that was the case, you wouldn't get any, because we can't measure up. Let me show you a picture of what this looks like. There it is. There's the vision. Two olive trees with channels to a big bowl that spread out to the candles. All all that we have time for today is you'll never run out of oil. Your temple being built, it's not by might. It's not by power. It's by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And here's the truth. I can't explain to you grace and truth fully because it's not meant to be explained. It's meant to be experienced. The law was given. Grace and truth came. Paul, John says we were eyewitnesses of his glory. We saw it. Now, for us, we're like, oh, dude, we can't be eyewitnesses of his glory. No, what we can be better. We can be carriers of his glory. Because a carrier is better than an eyewitness. You have the spirit of the living God living within you. And in Ephesians chapter 5, the apostle Paul here says, Be careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Don't be foolish. Understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk on wine. That leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the spirit. That word in Greek, present tense, be continuously filled with the Spirit. Don't get saved and have the Spirit in you. Don't get baptized in the Holy Spirit and you're good. Be continuously, day after day, moment after moment, filled with the Spirit. Why? Because He is the Spirit of grace and the Spirit of truth. As the Father sent me, so I send you. He came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And do you know what his plan for your life is? As he sent me full of grace and truth, I send you full of grace and truth, full of my spirit. And my spirit is the spirit of grace and truth. And what we do is we get into conversations and we're trying to give people law. You've got to conform your life to all these things. And do you know what they need? They need an encounter with the spirit of grace and truth. That's what they need. Paul says, I didn't come to you with wise and persuasive words. I didn't eloquently put a speech together that was going to impact you. No, I came with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. The living water flowed out of me to you. You want to untie the eyes of the blind? (laughs) Let the Spirit of God flow out of you. And I hope today you're not like, oh, yeah, I'm a terrible person. I'm not filled. This is an invitation. This isn't a, you're a bad person because you haven't been living filled with the Spirit. That's not what this is. This is an invitation to come and to be filled with the Spirit of God. Because you cannot adequately understand grace and truth. It needs to be experienced. And I know that for some Christians, the word experience has become a four-letter word. It is not a four-letter word. We need to experience truth. This is the revelation of who God is. My experience is not truth. The revelation of who God is is truth. But if this truth doesn't lead me to an experience, it's not truth. My experience is not the truth, but this book is begging us to experience. How do I know that? Because he said that he wasn't good enough to give you the law. I came to give you grace and truth. Do you ever try to describe to someone the experience of being on a roller coaster, the thrill of it? I mean, you can, ex- you can explain it, but until you experience it, you don't know the thrill of it. And some of you, you can talk about all the scriptures of grace and truth, but you just need to encounter them. Let me prove it to you. Ephesians chapter 3. May you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, long, high, and deep his love is. I want you to understand it. So how do we study it? Look at the love of God. We know the love of God. Today I don't feel love, But guess what? I am loved. Because it's the truth. It's right here. It's, uh, Jesus said it. So it's truth. The spirit of truth is leading me into all truth. Just like he said he would. And I, I am understanding the love of God. But he doesn't stop there. He says, may you experience the love of Christ. Because it is too great... To understand fully. Here's the thing, you could know the love of God every day of your life and you, you, you still wouldn't understand it because it's wider, longer, higher, and deeper than you can possibly go to. But when you experience it, it's a fuller thing. You need to experience. It's incomprehensible. So here's, here's today. Today is an invitation to a full Christmas to experience a life full of grace and truth, grace upon grace upon grace, to a never-ending supply of oil, that from His fullness, rivers of living water will flow out of you, so that you can become a carrier of grace and truth. All this week, I've had a sense that People need to encounter the spirit of grace and the spirit of truth. And so do you know what I did? I set up chairs. Not for you to sit on, but for you to kneel on. And I walked and I prayed for every chair. And I prayed that you would encounter God, that you would experience God. And here's the thing. Nothing magical about this spot. Nothing magical about this. Here's the the thing. There's something biblical about it because there's a call today. I believe there's an invitation by the Spirit of God for you to come and taste and see that He is good. And some of you maybe have never experienced it before. You've never had an experience with the Holy Spirit. Today, I have prayed that today would be your first time. Some of you have been struggling to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I have prayed all week that there would be a grace for you to be able to receive And I know that some of you physically can't kneel and get back up. So do you know what I did? I prayed over the front row too. I did. I laid hands on every row, every seat, every chair, so that you could just come to the front and sit. Because here's what you have to do. You have to respond. The invitation is given, but you have to respond. And I wanted to be done by 1118 so that there would be time for you to respond. It's a miracle. (laughs) It's okay because here's the thing I can't make you come I can't make you come all I can do is prepare a place in fact Pastor John joked with me when he saw the chairs <laughs> said something about the 24 elders <laughs> I'm like no it's not the elders uh, I said I'm he's like well and when I told him he said well you set up a lot of chairs you're expecting a lot of people to come I said here's the thing it's not my job to worry about who comes it's my job to prepare a place and this is all the chairs I could fit. So I prepared a place. And then I prepared those places too. And I have prepared a place. And But here's what I know. Before I ever set out any chairs, he was preparing a place for you long before me. Because some of you are here today because it's Christmas and you're not a regular. That's okay. He knew you were coming. And some of our regulars are gone and that's okay because he knew who was going to be here and he prepared a place for you. And this place, I pray, is going to be a launching pad for every place. Because it's not just about today, and it's not just about this moment. It's about something entering into your spirit today that gives you a life full of grace and truth. So it's one encounter after another, after another, after another, after another. And you have to learn little by little to work it out in your life. And all of the things that you've been taught and trained, you're not going to be on an emotional ride of your life from this day forward. But if you press into it, if you don't get weary in it, I promise you, you're going to reap a harvest. And so here's what I want to do. I want to invite you to stand with me. And i prepared some music for us. And as we play this music, I want to invite you to come you got to get out of your seat. you got to come. You can kneel at one of these chairs. You can sit on one of these pews. You can kneel at a pew, but you need to move. The invitation is given. He is here to meet with you. I believe it. I have believed it in my heart all week. I have been praying it all week that he is here to meet with you. Whether you have you need to be meet with him for the first time, whether you need to meet with him. It hasn't been a long time. It doesn't matter. He's here. He's prepared a place for you and he is ready to encounter you. And as we sing, I want to encourage you to step out. I want you to find a place of prayer, either right here at one of these seats, right there at one of those pew areas. If they all fill up, find somewhere else, but just move, respond to his invitation to
1: come. Can't control what tomorrow